Good morning. Welcome to Southridge. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing good. All right. You had your coffee this morning? You ready? You're awake? You're alert? You didn't have to come in early and set up, so you should be great this morning. You should be alive and ready to go. All right. That's more like it. Okay. Now we're awake. I love this movie, uh, Sandlot. For so many reasons, because it just seems like it fit the summer, right? Except for my neighborhood in Fresno, we didn't even have the sandlot. We had the asphalt street in our front yard. So you slid into home, you were taking your life into your hands. Because not only was it 105, so if you're wearing shorts, it's going to take off about three layers of your skin. Uh, if you slid in home, it was just one of those, those type of things that we just played out there and it was rough and it just kind of built character, is what my parents said. They said, that builds character playing baseball out there. And uh, so, But there's something about the summertime, watching the Sandlot, it brings back memories. How many of you, this is like an all-time classic for you, the Sandlot. This just brings back memories. I can't see if you raise your hands or not, so I'll just go with it, okay? The lights are in my eyes, so uh, if you leave, I won't even notice. They messed me up this week, all right? They added more lights, and then they turned off the ones out there. So it's all good, though. I like it. It's fine, all right? So I, I, I know you're there because I hear the shotguns loading, you know, so whenever I say something bad or something. But uh, we're in a series entitled At the Movies, and we're looking at uh, several different films And we're talking about some of the key moments in those films and what significance it has. And I love that clip for so many reasons because that summarizes the Christian life, doesn't it? God asks us to do something we don't know if we're capable of doing. But then God says, just put the glove out there and I'll do the rest. And so I love that because that's all Smalls had to do. Benny told him, you put your glove out there and I'll do the rest. This morning, I believe God is going to challenge you to just put your step of faith, your glove out there and God will do the rest. Because that, in essence, is the Christian life. That is what following Jesus is all about. It's you taking that little step of faith saying, God, I believe you can. I believe you will. Here's my step. And God does the rest. But what often happens is you and I, we have a little bit of a crisis, just like we saw Smalls have. He was about to throw it in, wasn't he? He was about to go home. He even says, Benny, you made a mistake. I should go now. And Benny says to him, you're overthinking it. And sometimes that's what you and I want to do. We want to quit on the Christian life. We want to quit following Jesus. We want to walk away. Why? Because it seems like we just can't do it. So we have a small little crisis. I call it the crisis of confidence. Usually it's a crisis of confidence in our own ability, just like Smalls. He doubted his ability to catch the ball. You may doubt your ability to be a good dad, to be a good mom, to be a good wife, to be a good husband, to lead the company, to go to that next level, to grow spiritually, to take that step of faith and become a Christ follower. You may doubt your confidence, but what I see here is not so much that oftentimes we doubt our own confidence. I think more often than not, we have a crisis of confidence in God. We know God can, we just don't know if God will. See, there's a difference between that God can and believing that God will. All of us here are probably united around the fact that we believe that God can do anything. We just don't know if he will. And we all have a situation where we've been praying, begging, asking God to work a miracle. And we're stepping back and we're still waiting on that miracle. We know God can, we just don't know when God will. And so we have a crisis. But really, it's not a crisis of confidence, isn't it? If we get below the surface, you know what it actually is? It's a crisis of control. You see, 
We love to be in control. I don't care who you are, what your age is, what your background is. We love to control. We love to control our situation. We love to control people. We love to control places. We love to control circumstances. We want control. And when we don't have control, we freak out a little bit. We want everything to happen right when we want it. Why? Because we want to make sure our life is comfortable, that it's designed to make us happy. And when things don't go on schedule, on time, or like they should, we kind of freak out a little bit. And so what we have oftentimes when God brings us to a point, we don't know how it's going to work out. We have a little crisis and it's not about confidence. It's about control because we know we can't control God. And we know that when it comes to God, he has his own calendar of events. Well, this morning, I hope to find some encouragement because while you and I are trying to secure control, God wants us to surrender control. We're trying to secure it. God wants us to surrender. And it's a hard thing to do. But I found comfort in a little minor passage of scripture, one that's kind of out of the way. I like those uh, off the beaten path scripture passages, parts of the Bible that we don't always talk about. So if you brought a copy of God's word, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I'm going to kind of catch us up what happened in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And if you didn't bring a Bible, it'll be up on the screen or you can open up your tablet, your iPhone, and you can follow along. 1 Samuel chapter 6. Notice the story. Now, we're going to come to chapter 6 and we're going to see God do something pretty incredible. But in chapter five, I need to lay some foundation, some groundwork. The children of Israel are still in what's called the time of the judges. You see, Joshua has passed away. And after Joshua, who took over leadership from Moses, there was a time where they had judges. You say, who are the judges? If you didn't grow up in church, some of the judges were guys like Samson, guys like Gideon or Sisera. And so you had these judges that they rose up and they were the leaders of the nation. And uh, they didn't have a king at this time. They didn't have a monarch, but these judges kind of led. Well, Samuel is the last of the judges. And it's now Samuel. So this is early in the nation of Israel. And what would happen is that the children of Israel would go out to war and they would fight. They had this common enemy. It was the Philistines. If you remember David and Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine. And so the Philistines were fighting against the children of Israel. And the children of Israel are losing the battle. So what did the children of Israel do? They go back to the temple and they grab what's called the Ark of the Covenant. You see, they believed the Ark of the Covenant was where God's presence was. And that's true. That's where God's presence was at that time. So they grabbed the Ark and they said, we're going to take God's presence. Because this is going to be like a little lucky rabbit's foot. And we're going to take this into battle and we're going to win. You know, they were a little bit superstitious. So they take this ark and they take it in battle and they're so excited. They're so confident that they are now going to win. They give a big shout. And do you know what happened? 30,000 Israelites died in the battle. They lost. But what's worse, they didn't just lose the battle. The Philistines took the ark of the covenant. They take that and the Philistines bring it into their kingdom. And all of a sudden, the nation of Israel is devastated. They are so devastated. Once the news broke out in Israel, people started ripping their clothes. They were crying in the streets. One man, the, the, the priest of that day, he hears the news. He falls back in his chair. He just kind of gasps at the news. He falls back and he breaks his neck and he dies. His daughter-in-law was pregnant. She was giving birth. She hears the news and she has a son. She names her son Ichabod, which means the glorious departed. It means like God's left us. And then she dies. The nation of Israel distraught. I mean, this is terrible news to see that the presence of God is gone. That was their connection to God. That's gone. 
And so the Philistines have the ark and then things start happening in the nation of the Philistines. They start breaking out in diseases. There's things and it's God's judgment because they stole the ark. And so what do these people do? They say, we got to get rid of the ark. And in 1 Samuel chapter 6, that's where we see the story picking up. So if you have your Bible, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter number 6. Notice we verse number 1. The Bible says, when the ark of the Lord had been in the Philistine territory seven months. So for seven months, Israel had no connection with God for seven months. Verse number 2, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should take it, send it back to its place. They answered, if you return the ark of God of Israel, do not send it back with him without a gift. By all means, send a gift offering to him. Then you will be healed and you will know why his hand has not been, has been lifted. And Philistines asked, what guilt offering should we send to him? They replied, five gold tumors and five gold rats. And that's uh, because God allowed a plague of rats to break out. And any, any people, you're deathly afraid of rats in the house. You're just like, I can't stand any of the creepy crawlies. Yep, okay. So they made golden statues of these rats. And uh, in verse number six says, why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did when Israel's God dealt harshly with them? Did they not send the Israelites out so they could go on their way? Verse number seven, now then get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and put them up. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart, and in a chest beside it put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a gift offering. Send it on its way, but keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory toward Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us, but that it happened to us by chance." So they did this. They took two such cows and hitched them to the cart and penned up their calves. And they placed the ark of the Lord on the cart along with the chest containing the gold rats and the models of the tumors. When the cows went straight up toward Beth Shemesh, keeping on the road and lowing all the way, they did not turn to the right or to the left. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now notice verse 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And when they looked up, and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects and placed them on the large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. What a great pastor scripture. Aren't you blessed by reading that pastor scripture? Shall we pray and we be dismissed and you go along about your day? No, I think there's a whole lot more to this passage, isn't it? We didn't just read that passage and while our eyes kind of glazed over, like what is happening? Let me just kind of unpack it for a minute here. Here's what's so amazing. You and I, we go through moments where we wonder, is God ever going to work in my situation? Is God ever going to give me that thing that I've been praying for? God, are you ever going to work? God, are you going to restore my marriage? God, are you going to restore the relationship with my son or my daughter? God, are you going to work things out at my job? God, are you going to fix this thing? God, are you going to heal this disease? God, are you ever going to work? And it's kind of one of those moments where you almost want to give up hope. And you could see these people for seven months. They, they haven't sent a raiding party to go try to get the ark back. They couldn't do anything about it because they were defeated. They were discouraged. And maybe you came into church this morning and there's something you've prayed for, you begged God for, and you just wonder, you know God can, but you just don't know if God ever will. And you're here and you're a little bit discouraged because you don't know what's going to happen. And you're finding yourself here and you're thinking, God, I don't know if you're going to work this 
out. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God is working. You say, what do you mean? This is interesting. I got a weird title for you this morning. And I need you to give my title to your neighbor. And the title is this. The cart is coming. Touch your neighbor, wake him up, shake him up, and say, the cart is is coming this morning. Can we get a little bit more of the house lights on just please this morning? Let's get a little bit more of the house lights. It's nice and cool and dark and it'd be real nice to catch up on a little rest this morning. So we'll, we'll bump up the house lights just a little bit. There we go. It's a little bit better. All of a sudden we're like, whoa, coming out of the cave. The lights came on. God said, let there be light. I feel so powerful this morning. I say it and the lights just kind of come. All right. That's just great. So this morning you need to understand that the card is coming. The children of Israel didn't do anything to go get it. In this passage of scripture, we don't see them praying for it. We don't see them working for it. God just did it. You see, sometimes in your life, there are things that you're waiting on and it's taking a season. There are other times when it comes suddenly. And I believe just like this building, just like what God is doing in our church, that there are things that are happening suddenly. There are things you've waited for, you've prayed for. But when I came across this message, I knew that there was a word here for us. It was that God is going to work suddenly. There are things you've been praying for, you've been waiting for. And I'm here to tell you this morning, the cart is coming. God is working. He's on the move. He's doing something this morning. And they didn't have to do anything to earn it. Sometimes we have to work out of the grind. Sometimes God just gives his grace. Sometimes you find yourself grinding away. And other times you just say, how come I just got the promotion out of nowhere? How come my children are just obedient out of nowhere? Saturday morning, I get up, I'm making breakfast, and my wife is at the ladies' gathering, and she's there. And my son, Austin, who's six years old, he grabs my Bible, and he, and he goes outside, and I find him out there, and I'm like, hey, buddy, what are you doing? He said, I'm reading my Bible. We're supposed to read our Bibles. He can't even read yet, but he's out there reading his Bible. And I was thinking for a moment, I'm not that good of a dad that on a Saturday morning at eight in the morning, my son grabs my Bible and goes out to the backyard and starts reading it. That is something where God did suddenly. I didn't ask for it. I didn't encourage it. It just happened. There are moments when you just walk in husbands and all of a sudden she's in a good mood and you're just a great husband for whatever reason. You didn't do anything. It just happens suddenly. There are times where you just go to the store and Neiman Marcus and praise God suddenly there's a sale and your credit card has a zero balance and God allowed the stars to align for the sale and the zero balance on the credit card so you could buy that new dress or that new article of clothing it happened suddenly suddenly you get the good deal suddenly you buy the house suddenly you get the promotion suddenly things start happening suddenly you get the bonus it just happens you weren't looking for it you weren't asking for it all the things that you were doing you were just working in your field and some of us need that encouragement to just stay working in the field but while you're in the field I love the fact that the Bible allows us to know where they're at you see they're in a field they're harvesting and isn't that so much like our human nature you see you and I we are in an environment that's constantly told we got to produce we got to produce something I mean if you're single Everybody's telling you, you got to get in a relationship. It doesn't matter if you're happy. You just, you just got to be in a relationship. And if you're in a relationship, well, you got to get serious. And if you're in a serious relationship, well, you got to get married. And once you get married, well, you got to have kids. And once you have one kid, well, you got to have another kid. Once you have another kid, well, you got to get a, like five more, you know, and, uh, uh, once you, once you're at home, they want you out of the home. Once you're out of the home, you got to get your own place. Once you get your own place, you got to buy a house. Once you buy a house, you got to buy a bigger house. Once you get a car, you got to get a second car. Once you have kids, now you got to start 
raising them better, you know, and it's never good enough. Once you start cooking, then you got to cook better meals. Once you get a job, now you've got to become, become manager. Once you become manager, now you got to be vice president. Once you become vice president, you got to start your own company. Do you see our culture? It's always pushing us to produce, 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 produce. And it's this constant pressure. And here's what happens. Here they're out in the field and they're working, trying to produce something. And there are moments in our life we're trying to work something up. We're trying to get our children to behave. We're trying to get the marriage to work. We're trying to get the job to work. And it's just not working. And we're tired of trying to produce. So I want to say to you this morning, manage the pressure to produce. Manage the pressure to produce because there's a constant pressure for us to perform, isn't there? There's a constant pressure that we've got to do more, be better, and then kind of fit somebody else's mold. But this morning, I want to encourage you by letting you know that we need to manage the pressure to produce. You see, some of us are busy trying to produce what God never planted in our lives. You see, some of us are trying to do something that God said, I didn't even put that inside of you. That's somebody else's expectation for you. That's somebody else's dream for you. That's somebody else's plan for you. I mean, you know, if you grew up in a large family, you've heard it. Why can't you be like your older sister? Why can't you be like your younger brother? Why can't you be smarter? Why can't you be more athletic? There's this constant pressure to produce. You've heard it from your boss. Well, why can't you be like the new guy or to the new guy? Why can't you be like that? older guy. And there's this constant pressure and you're like, I can't win. I'm frustrated. And that may be how you felt this morning. You just feel this constant pressure. And God is here trying to encourage you this morning. All he wants for you is to hold out your glove. Let him do the work this morning. Because why? The cart is coming. God's doing it. They didn't have to work for it. They just had to wait for it. Some of you are working for what God has already worked out and you're worrying about it. And God's like, I already got this under control. So just manage the pressure to produce. And you say, how do I do that? By trusting God, period. Now, I think that's so important. You write that down, that you write down, trust God, period, because here's how you and I like to do it. We like to put trust God. If God, I will trust you if you give me the bonus. Then if I have that bonus, I'll have more time and I can do more. So if you do this, and God, I will trust you if you fix my spouse, if you fix my kids, and we put conditions on it. We only trust God if. So God, if you do this, I'll do that. And it's kind of this barter system with God. But that's not true trust, is it? That's not true faith, is it? That's not maturing in my journey with Jesus. You see, God wants us to trust him regardless. No conditions, no strings attached. We say, God, I trust you, period. Somebody has said, let go and let God. And I know as soon as you hear that statement, you're like, ah, man, I hate it when people tell me that. You know, they're so pharisaical. If they knew what I was going through. But it's true. Sometimes we just have to say, God, I'm not very good at baseball. I've never played baseball, but I'm going to stick my glove out there. And God, I hope you're like Benny and you could just put the ball right in the glove. And this morning, that's the message you need to hear that God wants to do it. Some of you've been fighting, you've been wrestling, you've been discouraged. You've been trying to force something to happen. And God wants you to know this morning, you need to step back. You need to take your hands off the controllers and you need to say, God, it's you. I'm trusting you. I'm not adding anything else to this. I know you're going to work it out. I know you saw this coming. It didn't catch you by surprise. So God, I'm trusting that my cart is coming. So God, I'm stepping back. I'm giving you control this morning because I'm going to trust God, period. No if and no when. I simply trust God. Here's the thing. It's hard to trust God, isn't it? We need to be trained to trust God. You didn't just trust your spouse right away. You didn't just trust your boyfriend or girlfriend right away. It was earned. It was 
trained. Even your dog didn't trust you right away. Your cat will never trust you. So just give up there. But when it comes to trust, it takes training, doesn't it? So why do we think it's any different with God? It's not just going to happen instantly. We step out and say, God, I'm just going to put my glove. That's all I got. God, all I got is I can come to church. God, all I got is I can start tithing 10%. God, all I got is I could serve a little bit. God, all I got is I can go talk to my coworker. God, all I got is I can tell my spouse I love him. I'm praying for all I got is I can pray with my kids at night. God, all I got, and that's all God wants this morning. He's not asking you to be super Christian this morning. And some of you feel like until you have it all together, you're not going to do anything. But God is saying, I'm not waiting for you to have it all together because guess what? You never will. And that should actually free you up this morning. You never will have it all together. So if you're waiting till you do, guess what? You're going to go through life very disappointed and very discouraged because God is saying, hey, there's a pressure to manage here. So manage the pressure. So trust God. He's working even while we're waiting. And you say, what do I need to do? I need to make peace with the process. It's hard, isn't it, to make peace with the process? It's a process. We live in a generation, it's called the microwave generation. We just want to uh, push a couple buttons and instantly we've got it. Instantly we got the new job. Instantly we got the perfect marriage. Instantly we got the kids. Can I tell you something? At the beginning of your marriage, you're going to want to quit. And at the end of your marriage, you're going to want to quit. But there comes this period where we're like, huh, this is pretty good. We kind of got this down. We kind of got this. But those first five years, seven years, you know, it's just rough where you're like, I don't know if I want to stay in this. I don't know if I want to keep doing this. And that's where you need to say, you know what? I need to embrace the process. Some of us are looking for that finish line. When is this over? Instead of saying, wait a minute, God, I'm going to embrace the process that you have right now. I've learned a statement that Jane and I, we've been talking about. And it's this thought that I'm more in love with the process than the payoff. You see, some of us are looking toward when I retire, when the kids are out of the house, but we're missing out on the miracles of this moment, that there's something wonderful that God has right here, right now for us. So fall in love with the process where you say, God, I'm in love with what you're doing right here and right now, because understand God is not keeping anything from you. He's keeping something for you. Did you catch verse 13? The Bible says this. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley and the valley represented where they were physically but also emotionally and spiritually in a valley. And some of you walked into church this morning and you felt like, I'm in a valley. And God says that they looked up and they saw it. So God wants you to look up. See, your perspective is down. Your focus is down. And God's saying, hey, look up to me. Get your eyes up off of this because you're focusing on these lower things, these little things. It's trying to look up. It's trying to see what God can do. And it helps us to understand that we got to make peace with the process. Here's what will help you. When you understand this passage of scripture, Isaiah 55, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, we can uh, make peace with the process. You see, the process that God has taken us through, it's doing a work. And so we just need to make peace with it at this moment. You see, this process, God's doing something great. And here's what you need to understand. God sees what you can't see. God sees what you can't see. You see, our focus is limited. We see right here, right now. We can't see the future. We can b- make plans for it, but we can't see it. We, can't, uh, we can see the past, but we can't change it. We just have this moment right here. And so some of us, we're trying to make big decisions where we can't even see the future. So we need to simply do is trust God. Did you see what Smalls did? He put his gloves out there, and what did he do with his eyes? He closed them. And some of you need one of those eye-closed moments where you say, God, I'm just, oh, I'm trusting you. It's all I got. 
This is all I got. And that's all God's asking for. Just for you to say, just put the glove out there. Just step out because the cart is coming. The cart is coming. God is working because why? God sees what you can't see. You see, God's hand is often invisible, isn't it? You can't see how he's working. You see, what the children of Israel didn't know was that God loved the children of Israel, but he also loved the Philistines. And he was doing a work with them, wasn't he? He was doing something. He was drawing them to himself. But then also, God was doing something for the Israelites. They got their Ark of the Covenant back, but they also got a chest full of gold as well. So some of you feel like, oh, God, you're cheating me. You're stiffing me. No, God has better things in store for you. My wife and I, we were looking for a house in 2011, and we were desperate to find a house. I was more desperate than my wife. She had patience. She was like, God is going to help us. We had a great Japanese realtor. She would always say to us, she would always say, don't worry, the house will pick you. She wasn't a Christian lady, but, but she would always say, don't worry, the house will pick you. And I was like, no, we got to pick a house. And it was a bidding war. We couldn't get a house. We kept looking for a house. And the person in the house we were renting, they were about to sell it. We could not get a house. So I was on checkers and story. And some of you know checkers and story. A white boy does not belong on checkers and story. But it's the only place I could find a house. And I was like, babe, we got to live there. It's okay. You're brown. Our kids are brown. So I'll tan. I'll get that instant tan. I'll be safe. It's all right. She literally was like, I'm more worried about your safety than ours. We're going to be fine. You're going to get shot. And I was like, it's okay. It's all right. I'll tell my pastor. I'll just carry a big Bible everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. And uh, she was like, why are you forcing this to happen? I was like, we've got to get this house got to get this house and man we were trying we were trying to make it happen and then one day I got a little email popped up on this about the particular house and I was like hmm, that's a nice little house in our price range it's closer to the neighborhood we wanted and we put an offer in on it the offer got rejected I was thinking oh I knew it it wasn't what God wanted and we just forgot about it our realtor said yeah they got a bigger cash offer and so they declined your offer you're second if it ever opens up but you're not going to get the house But on midnight, not midnight, it was on New Year's Eve, we got a phone call about 9 o'clock at night. Our realtor called us and said, hey, the house fell through. They want to know if you're still interested. And I said, but I can't match the bid of the other offer. They said, that's okay. If you can close in less than 40 days, they'll take your lower offer. You see, I was trying to force a house in a neighborhood that I thought I could afford and I could work it out. God had a better house in a better neighborhood already worked out. I just had to wait on it. You see, God isn't trying to stiff you. He's not trying to cheat you. God has things in store for you. If you would simply say, God, I'm tired of controlling. I'm trying to force this. I'm trying to force my husband or force my wife or force my kids. God, I'm going to relinquish it. I'm making peace with the process. I'm making peace that this is the job you have right here for me. That God, this is the spouse you have for me. These are the children you have for me. This is the situation you have for me. So God, help me to love it because you can't love what is if you're wishing for what was. And some of you are enamored. You're in love with a life that is not yours. And because you're in love with a life that is not yours, you're not loving the life that God gave you right here and right now. You're wishing for somebody else's kids so you're missing out on your children. You're looking for somebody else's spouse since you're missing out how wonderful your spouse is. You see, God is saying, I've got something. God sees what you can't see. God knows what you don't know. And this is the best part. God can do what you can't they could not get the ark god got it and so imagine they're in this field they're trying to get their crops they're trying to get and all of a sudden they hear a sound you say what was that sound they start hearing some cows coming that's a strange sound and they start hearing some cowbells coming they're thinking cowbells and all of a sudden they're hearing more and more cowbells and it's like the snl skit i need more cowbell i've got to have more cowbell and it just so happens i actually have a cowbell right here and so you can see the cowbell the cows were coming and all of a sudden the 
louder it got, guess what? They got more excited because they could see there's an ark on that cart. There's two cows and they're coming. The cart is coming. The blessing is coming. God's favor is coming. God is working in your life. He's working in your situation. You don't have to stress out. You don't have to get worried. God is at work in your life. And I'm glad one person in this church is actually excited that God is working. I wish we had a church full of people that believe the cart is coming in their life. A church that believes that favor is on their way. A church that believes that miracles can still happen. A church that believes that God can give free buildings. That God can do the miraculous. You see, folks, you what you do not understand is you're sitting in the middle of a miracle. I don't want our church to get too conditioned because this doesn't happen to everybody else. Because who gives you a house and says, I've given you a house. You don't have to make the mortgage payment. You just got to pay utilities. How many would take that deal? Because that's what God did here. God says, I'm going to give you a house. I built it. I paid for it. You just got to pay for the air conditioning and the lights. That's all you got to do. How good is our God? That's the cows are coming. The cart is coming. God's favor is coming. Some of you are so stressed out. You're irritably be around. Nobody wants to talk to you because you're all worried about something that God's already worked out. So if you just step back and just say, God, I'm going to give you some time. I'm going to make peace with this process. God's got it all worked out. But in the middle of this, you need to maintain persistence because it will break the resistance. If you maintain persistence, some of you are about ready to leave church, leave the relationship, leave the job, quit on something that God never told you to do. God did not tell you to leave them. God did not tell you to quit on them. And you're about to walk out on something because you won't be persistent. You need to say, God, I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to keep after this. I'm going to keep doing this because, God, I believe you're going to do something. How many of you know how many buildings our church has been to? Just hold up the number if you know. How many? How many? Just do like a number. Three, two, one. I I see a bunch of fours. I see a bunch. I see a three. I see fours. fours. I got, I got, Scott, that's no fair. You were in the first service. I I see a couple. Now everybody's like, what was his hand? What was the number? I see four. It's actually five buildings. You say, what do you mean? What do you mean? It was five buildings because we were at a hotel ballroom for one Sunday. And man, we hopped from ballroom, from church place, from meeting house. We were setting up wherever we could, where we could have church. We were like church on the road, man. You could come to our church if you could find us. You just had to find us. We constantly just moved and we just set up shop, have church. We're lucky we didn't show up in your living room. We probably would have if you would have invited us. And so we can see God was working and leading and doing things on our behalf, but we had to be persistent. It would have been real easy those days where it was just me and D Madden tearing down the church because we didn't have enough people to do tear down. And D Madden and I, we would just stay after and we'd pack up the church. And my wife was there. And it was just three of us, many afternoons. We'd just pack everything up. And it would have been real easy to quit. I can remember times where I'd go to our children's ministry. I would say, How many kids were there today? And my wife would fight back tears and say, It was just ours. Just ours. There's no other kids. And I remember her thinking, will Megan and Austin have friends? I remember the days when the offerings were so low we couldn't afford anything. I remember the days I told Jane, I said, I'll get a second job. She said, we can, we can take our, our savings to pay the bills if we need to. I said, I'll go get a second job. I remember the days where people would say things and I would get a nasty email and I'm thinking, I'm trying my hardest. I'm just a young pastor, barely in my 20s. I don't know much. And you get some email, somebody mad about something, they're gonna leave the church. I was thinking, don't they understand we're just starting? Don't they understand we don't have this figured out? And it was in those dark moments, you just say, God, I think I'm done. Our church was maybe 70, 80 people and then somebody started a rumor and so we had about five or six families leave. 
And I have those moments just thinking, God, are you working? God, are you doing anything? And then slowly one day, God started to work. I couldn't see it, but I could hear it. Have you ever sensed something before you saw it? Where you just knew in your gut, God is at work here. Where God says, there is a cart coming. My favor is coming. God is working. And some of you are about to give up. And God is like, don't you quit now. Don't you stop now. You can make it. I'm here. Be not weary and well-doing for in due season. You shall reap if you faint not. And you're about to quit on that thing. You're about to walk away from that thing. And God is like, you're so close, my child. You're so close, my son, my daughter, my beloved. You're so close. Why are you going to walk away now? After everything you've been through, everything you've done, all the blood, sweat, and tears, and you're going to quit now? When you sense the cart is coming, when you know God is up to something, and it's time to say, God, I'm going to make peace with this process. I'm managing the pressure. But God, I'm going to maintain persistence because it will break the resistance. Because if I quit now, there will be lives that won't be changed. If I give up now, my children won't see the example that mom and dad, we stayed, we fought, we worked it out, that we stood firm. When everybody else said we're going to toss in the towel, we stayed. Last week, we had somebody that Jane and I hadn't seen in 10 years. We lost track of them. And they said they missed their turn. They couldn't make it to church. They were driving down the road. And they started seeing signs for our church. And they said, it's so weird. I just feel like i got to pull in there. They didn't know it was, it was the church that Jane and I founded. They just, they just, something drew them here. Something drew them here. They didn't know it was our very first Sunday here, but something drew them here. They walked in and they were thinking, I'm a little bit late, but I'm going to walk in. And they told me afterward, they said, that was the message I needed. That was exactly what I needed. And they said, I didn't know you were going to be pastor there. I didn't know you were there. And I said, we didn't know we were going to be here. This is all new. But God is at work. And some of you are so close to what God wants to do. But God is bringing the cart if you will stay faithful. There's a great old story. An elderly woman, she was low on groceries. She had nothing, very poor. And she was praying to God and she liked to pray out loud and she'd pray with her windows open. And she had a neighbor who didn't believe in God. And the neighbor always got so mad that she'd pray to a God that he thought was fake and imaginary. A God that was just, 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 a crutch for her to lean on. And she would pray, God, I don't have any food. I don't have any groceries. But God, you're good. You're on the throne. You're going to provide. I'm trusting you. And she would pray it. She had nothing in the cupboards. God, you're still good. You're on the throne. You're going to provide. And that guy that said, I think God's a myth. He said, I know what I'm, I'm going to show that lady. I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to buy her all those groceries. I'm going to set them on her porch. I'm going to ring her doorbell. And then I'm going to hide in the bushes. And when she goes out there, she's going to think, God did it. And I'm going to be like, no, God didn't do it. I did it. God doesn't exist. So the man does it. Buys the groceries. He goes over to her house. He sets them on the door, rings her doorbell, and he hides in the bushes. The elderly lady, she carefully opens the door. And she lets out a scream that God did it. God did it. God's good. I knew you'd provide. I knew you were great, God. And then that man jumped out and he said, God didn't do it. He doesn't exist. He's a myth. I did it. All of a sudden, the lady, she actually got more excited. She said, God's even greater than I thought. He's amazing. God's so good. He's in control. He's on the throne. He didn't abandon me. And the guy was so confused. He said, what are you talking about? He said, God is so good. He provided my groceries and he used the devil to do it. God has not abandoned you. 
God has not left you alone. The cart is coming. Can we all stand in the presence of the Lord this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I believe the Holy Spirit is here. I believe he wants to speak to us. I believe our hearts are going to be ignited and renewed passion is coming. Renewed determination is coming. Renewed faith to take our little glove and stick it out there and say, God, it's all I've got. And God whispers to us in our ear and says, that's all I need you to do. I will do the rest. So this morning, with hearts lifted up, we say, God, we cry out for you. And if that's you this morning, you say, Pastor, I'm barely here. I've got such burdens. I've got such needs. I'm about to give up hope. I'm about to walk away from this. I'm about to quit. I need something this morning. You lift up your hand toward heaven. You say, I need something. I want to pray for you. Is that you this morning? You lift up your hand and say, I need something from God. I need a touch from God. I need a healing from God. I need a word from here. Is that you? I see hands up all over the room. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, you see our hands. Mine's lifted up. And you see a whole audience of people who are saying, God, we desperately cry out for you. We need you. We know that you haven't abandoned us. You will not forsake us, for you love us. You'll provide for us. And we know the cart is coming. So help us to have your strength. Help us and guide us. We pray this, and all God's people said, amen.